This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the cult classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present day viewing. And hopefully, we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, fwwquantumleappod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, Quantum Leap Podcast with Sam and Dennis. We're here face-to-face again, uh, yes. which is not something that has happened regularly over the past yeah, however many episodes. Uh, six six months at least? At least. Yeah. 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 I went back and mapped it. We did six episodes in six months. Yeah. In the latter half of last year. Yeah, well. Hey, but hey, we're getting back in the swing of it. We, we are halfway there to being last half of last year already. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing is, is that there was, uh, especially at the beginning, there were a lot of weeks where we were doing two episodes at a time. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's all right. We, yeah. you know, we, we, we don't have long to go now with the rest of the actual series. Yeah. Um, we are at the penultimate episode of season four uh, right now, which is Stand Up, directed by Michael Zinberg, um, who is obviously a familiar name uh, to the show. Uh, in addition to being co-executive producer, um, he has directed eight other episodes, including Good Morning Peoria, MIA, Leap Home Part 2, The Leap Back, and most recently Raped. Uh, so not a bad string of episodes there. Although he also directed Portrait for Troyan. But anyway. Hey, hey, uh, hey. <laughs> um, Be nice. So it is interesting to note, and uh, I'm lacking in my research on this particular note. Dennis, you might be able to help me out. But this is the final season where he was a co-executive producer. He would not be with the show um, next time around for season five. Indeed, he didn't direct any episodes. He didn't have mm-hmm. a producer's credit or anything. So this was his, his last bow, if you will, with Quantum Leap. Mm -hmm. That said, I don't think it had anything to do with any sort of relationship with Belisario or anything like that, because he would go on to work on JAG, NCIS, and most recently has directed quite a few episodes of NCIS New Orleans, reuniting him, of course, with Scott Bakula. Bakula. Yeah. Just time to move on. Just Yeah, exactly. He was was, was done. Yeah. We don't do his own thing. Yeah. Our writer is Deborah Pratt, um, who really doesn't need much of an introduction, but we'll do it anyway. Now, she she did have some issues with Don Belisario. Well. Well. They yeah. They took it to court. <laughs> they oh god. Uh, um, I'm ready to dive into the novels and the, and the and right the, and the uh, never happened sci-fi reboot. Ah, oh, have some feelings. Um, anyway, we'll she um, she of course uh, her first episode that she wrote was Starcrossed, which was uh, the second episode that ever aired. Um, Color of Truth, What Price Gloria? So help me God, another mother, Black and White on Fire, Eight and a Half Months, Last Dance, Shock Theater, Dreams. Deliver Us from Evil, the trilogy, Liberation. She wrote 20 episodes in all. She is synonymous with the texture and quality that we know of Quantum Leap. Unless, of course, she's acting in a portrait for Troyan. Um, <laughs> she's amazing as Ziggy. She's wonderful as our narrator. And she, without a doubt, wrote the best damn episodes of the show, with the exception of probably Leap Home Sure. Uh, part one and two in MIA. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's she's fantastic. She's responsible for so much of what yeah. we love about the show. Um, a co-writer who doesn't get credited on IMDb, and uh, honestly, Dennis, is he credited in Matt's book? 
Um, so apparently Bill Richmond actually helped uh, with this episode finessing some of the uh, comedy and some of the history. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had the authority to do it because he was a writer on... Um, early Jerry Lewis movies, um, had worked with Martin and Lewis, also wrote for the Carol Burnett show. So obviously was, was steeped in this particular scene. Um, and, uh, was credited as a co-writer on a couple of websites. Um, so I'm going to just throw that out there, whether or not he actually did, I don't know, but he is credited as such. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll give it to him. Um, regardless, the dialogue sparkles, and I'm sure that a lot of it has to do with the lovely Deborah Pratt. Sure. Um, our air date was May 13th, 1992. Uh, I was about to turn 11 years old. Mm. Yeah. Two weeks, uh, two weeks away. 13? Yeah. Yeah. How about that? Uh, our leap date is April 30th, 1959. Sam has leapt into Davy Parker, and the location of the leap in is the Poconos in yeah. Pennsylvania. Uh, they will also go on a road trip through Gallup, New Mexico, and into Las Vegas, Nevada. Quite a lengthy road trip, mind you. That is. Um, but, uh, yeah. That's not exactly the information that everyone else has, is it? Yeah. No. We'll get into that later. But... No. Right. Anyway. Um, uh, let's get into, uh, the, let's see what it was also known as in other countries. Uh, in France, it was known as the Cream of Men. I I have I have nothing to say to that. In the UK and the US, it was known as stand up. And uh, Matt Dale's wonderful book, uh, Beyond the Mirror Image, he doesn't uh, have the translation for Germany. It's just uh, "Wie Hund und Katz." Wie und Wie Hund und Katz. Okay. Uh, if you want to Google that real quick, while I read the TV guy description. Uh, yeah. uh, listener Adrian has had suggested uh, a little a little vocal inflection for the TV guy description. So this is just for you, Adrian. Uh, the TV Guide description. Hope that's close enough. The TV Guide description. Uh, Sam's part of a comedy trio featuring a bright comedian and a yuckster who's in love with her and in mortal danger, but doesn't know either thing. The German title translates like cats and dogs. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I actually kind of like that. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I think stand-up is better and fine and whatever, but sure. Yeah, you know, I get I get what they were aiming for with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so yeah, Sam leaves in, and this is notable, particularly for the time, because we have. I, I think this is one of maybe the only case throughout the entire series where we have a very notable present day celebrity from another very known from a very well known brand. Yes guest starring on the show. Yeah. And we're obviously, we're talking about Bob, Bob Saget. Saget. Yeah. Full House had been airing for five seasons at it's this 87. point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and funny story, actually, uh, Quantum Leap's ratings competitor in its final season would be none other than Full House. Oh my God. That's what killed it. Yeah. Full House right killed there. Quantum Leap. Bob Saget killed Quantum Leap now. Um, um but yeah, that is interesting to 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 think about the fact that Saget was at that particular point in time, obviously very well known for Full House. Full mm-hmm. House was in full swing, no pun intended, and uh, here he is guest starring on uh, on our favorite TV show. Yeah, I don't think it was really yet well known to the general public that Bob Saget's stand-up comedy is very different from his persona. Yeah, as Danny Tanner. 
You know, it's interesting because as I was watching this episode, there were a couple of times in particular where I couldn't help but be very conscious of the fact that he was clearly, whether on purpose or not, I'm sure when his agent, you know, presented him with this or the yeah. idea was pitched to him or whatever, or, or he went after it, that part of the reason why he did is because it is very different, obviously, yeah. from Danny Tanner. As I was watching the episode last night, it occurred to me that, uh, whereas now, modern day, when a, uh, an actor who's mostly known for being a comedian... yeah. Uh, or for comedy, when they want to prove they can do a dramatic role, they do a uh, they do an episode of Law and Order, <laughs> and I felt like this was Bob Saget's episode of yeah. Law and Order. Sure, like, sure. Hey, hey, I'm I'm something other than Danny Tanner. You know, somebody who bucks that trend, in my opinion, is Patton Oswalt, and the reason why I say that is because he guested on Justified and mm-hmm. was great on Justified, mm-hmm. but he's still like he has no problem still basically being the comedic Patton Oswalt. Now, he has some really nice scenes that are not mm-hmm. comedy scenes. Sure. But he's not at all trying to be, like, a serious actor. I gotcha. Yeah. Although Justified was a little... I only got through the first season to Justified. Justified has some darker, humor. but it has, like... It, well, yeah. It has some dark comedy. I mean, it's yeah. you know, based on an Elmore Leonard, you know, character, mm-hmm. and, and, and he didn't have a whole lot to do with the TV show. Um, but, I mean, his, his sense of humor in his novels... And even the film adaptations of his novels, like Get Shorty or or uh, Out of Sight or, mm-hmm. or whatnot, like I mean, it's clear that he has a sense of humor. Um, uh, and, and in spite of these sort of darker situations and these mm-hmm. darker characters, hitmen and mobsters and you know bank robbers, etc., the uh, uh, he he definitely has fun with it. So, yeah, yeah, brilliant writer, by the way. Yeah, um, but anyway, um, anyway, so yeah, so uh, Sam leaps into an awkward stand-up comedy situation. Yeah. Set up for the joke. God or fate or time is not kind. No. Terrifying. Yeah. I mean, what a terrifying situation. I, 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 I honestly, the only, this is going to sound crazy because he's clearly leapt into, uh, you know, stickier situations, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the electric chair uh, sure. among them, whatever. But for, for whatever reason, what I hearkened back to almost immediately was thou shalt not as the rabbi. Oh yeah, these, and like they, like that. There was some a sense of sort of like being on a stage, if you will, having sure. an audience, having to remember you know lines and and not having it. Yeah. Um. Um. I I would I would dare say that with Catch a Falling Star, he could have gotten his way out of that because clearly he was familiar with the show. Sure. Um. Didn't have to go on, obviously, but yeah. Um. Right. Yeah, and, and you know another thing about this leap in, I mentioned it last time around, is that we basically get introduced to. All of our main characters in mm-hmm. this leap in, like, yeah. right away. Aside from the villain, yeah, yeah, but but his number one yeah. henchman guy is there, and like, sure, you know, yeah. yeah. But I yeah. forget that, yeah, he ends up being like the number one yeah. henchman, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fires the gun off. I just thought he yeah. was like a random guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, we never get the punchline to the joke. We don't. Uh, he's in the bushes holding a sheep. I looked. I googled it. I could not. I could not find this joke. Out there. Well, you know, which is kind of interesting because some of the other bits that they do mm-hmm. are based on, you know, more well-known bits. Yeah. Even if they're not doing them, you know, exactly yeah. how they would have been done or whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. the, the framework is similar. Um, but yeah, I couldn't find anything about this either. No. 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 Naked dude with a sheep in the bushes. I mean, really, if you think about it hard enough, you can get you some can, of the comedy out of there. You can sure... Especially yeah. for a 1959 audience. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but the punchline that Sam attempts of, it's okay, it's sheep season, oh. does not... No. That... I almost want it to be a little bit more... Because we talked about so much like last week's episode, like Sam is a scientist, like... 
mm-hmm. that that like very scientific mind, like over explaining things. I just really wish that, like, we would have got a little, like a little comedy of like Sam the scientist, like trying to deconstruct this joke and like trying to figure out like, well, how do we get to a punchline of naked sheep bushes cop? Yeah. No, I that, that's a good point. I will say that you know the sheep season certainly tips its hat, I suppose, to his farm boy upbringing. He would Maybe, be very familiar yeah. with like you know when it was yeah. pheasant season, when it was deer season, when it, yeah. you know we could have just had we could have had great voiceover right there. Growing up on the farm yeah. in Indiana, <laughs> there was one time my dad caught me in the bushes with a sheep. Oh no! <laughs> no, no! Did I did I go somewhere you weren't expecting? Oh, no, you definitely went somewhere I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's a whole different quality. And I, and I know what you're thinking, listener, but I was just trying to clone it. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, a little, little gene testing, if you. Yeah. Know. A little yes. Yes. Um. So, so uh, after we come back from the uh, the credits, um, Amy Yazbek's character Frankie, uh, of course, helps to save the day. Mm-hmm. Um, hops on stage and uh, you know puts on uh, her southern accent and does a, a decent bit that ends well mm-hmm. with the uh, you know getting arrested for solicitation and yeah. the, you know. It is, it is, you know. It is, yeah. yeah. So that her 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 character's name is Frankie Warsharsky. How many different last names does she go through in this episode? Three, I think. Lane and Fields, I know for sure, but isn't there one other one? Turner. Turner, yeah. Lane, so, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I think that's the order. Lane, Lane, Turner, Fields. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I don't even think they present Fields until like the very end of the episode. It's a very, yeah. And she's like... When they get announced. Yeah. To, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And Fields. Uh, let's talk about Amy Yazbek. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, someone commented on the page last night because I posted a, a thing in the Facebook group. Um, she's probably maybe most well known to the general public for the Problem Child movies. Is she though? I would I would argue that that she's probably more well known for Wings. Oh, you know what? You are right. Which arguably I would count as one of the finest of all '90s sitcoms. Where's the Wings podcast? Right. Where's the Wings podcast? Probably is one. But oh god, probably. I don't know. Probably. Steven Weber, Tim Daly, Amy Asbeck. I mean, you know, Thomas Hayden Church. Like, yeah, it was a good. It was a good cast. That was good. Uh, Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub. How? Yeah. Yeah. How can I forget Tony Shalhoub? Yeah. Oh, I love Thomas Hayden Church on that. Yeah. He was, yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. We, we could go down a whole rabbit hole there. Right. Uh, she was also, I don't know, I didn't bother looking this up, I don't know if she and John Ritter met on the Problem Child movies, if that's where they got married. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I would think that would make sense, because that seems to be the um, the, the earliest opportunity for them to have met sure. on screen. Yeah. Um, now, whether or not they had met outside of that, who knows. Yeah. Um, you know, she also, it's interesting to note uh, a couple of other things that she did, um, because we've talked about the show before. She was in the pilot of China Beach. Um, okay. She actually plays an airline stewardess who has a very, very amusing in- exchange with a soldier who is egged on by another soldier to have uh, the stewardess the check his seatbelt. Sure, and when and the the gag being that when the stewardess goes to check the seatbelt, she's going to find something else. Sure, and that was like something that the soldiers did or didn't do. Who knows? But that's what they say the TV show they did. Yeah, and she uh, of course uh, turns it around on him. You know, basically, threatening yeah. if she finds anything else out there, she's going to cut it off. Um, <laughs> yeah. To which, to which he immediately is like, "I got it. I'm good. I'm good. good. I got it." Um, she also um, was in four episodes of Magnum PI, uh, mm-hmm. playing the same character, which, as we well know, okay. uh, 
was not always the case when y- y- you know you had some of these actors making the rounds on TV shows playing like multiple characters. I got like you. Matlock I, or you know. I thought you were saying that she played the same character between Magnum PI and China uh, Beach. And I, I can thought, see whoa. why you would have thought that. And I thought, whoa, that that would have been that would have been an interesting crossover actually. But no, no, no. She played the same character within Magnum PI, Diana. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, you know, I had a few other. Uh, Film guest appearances like Pretty Woman um, um, actually did do a couple episodes of Matlock. The other thing that she might be known to audience for is she played the girlfriend in The Mask with Jim Carrey. Right. Yes, yeah. Um, that, and, that, yeah, uh, that's primary on her uh, IMDb page. Yeah. And this is uh, and this is a, a sad wrap-up to where the last time I saw her, um, speaking of John Ritter, so as you probably well know, John Ritter passed away uh, in 2003, 2003, September 11th, yeah. 2003, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had already filmed like three episodes of his current of his sitcom at the time, Eight yeah. Simple Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter. Um, after that season, him and Kelsey Grammer were up for Best Actor in a Sitcom mm. for an Emmy. And I think everybody expected John Ritter to win mm-hmm. because he was being nominated posthumously. Right. Have you seen that word? Posthumously? Yes, yes. Yes, I can never <laughs> say that word. Yeah. You can never get it off the top. Um, and Kelsey Grammer won. Mm. And I remember watching that, and I don't know why, but they had a camera on Amy Yazbeck. And they kept cutting to her. Mm. And Kelsey Grammer, you could tell, he felt awkward as shit. Yeah. Because he expected John Ritter to win. Because I think it was also Frazier's last season. So I think that was another thing. It it was between, like, do we give John Ritter the award posthumously, or do we give it to Kelsey Grammer for for the final season of his long-running sitcom? Right. And... Yeah, and so like he he acknowledged John Ritter, he acknowledged Amy Yazbeck in some way, uh, but yeah, the camera just stayed locked on Amy Yazbeck. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's. Uh, rest in peace, John Ritter. Yeah. Have a soft spot in my heart, mostly for it. Not yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. for it. That's yeah. that's where it comes from for me anyway. Is, um, uh, anyway, it is worth noting also that Amy Yazbeck, uh, her last. Uh, uh, credit on IMDb is uh, the television show Pretty Little Liars, which as we well know stars one Troy and Belsario. Um, uh, so, interesting little connection there. That's it. Um, and let's just get this out of the way right off the bat. She's fantastic in this episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's great. Yeah. Um, she's, you know, I, I would say she might be other than the regulars, obviously, uh, uh, she might be the best thing about the episode. And that's no slight against Bob Saget, because Bob Saget is sure. great in it too, but she's—I think she's just fantastic. Yeah, she's great. She's wonderful. It's—and <coughs> we'll get into this. I, I posted this on Facebook last night. Betsy's first comment we watched together last night was like, "Why, why you got to be a dick?" Yeah, Bob Saget. Like, what's yeah? What I mean, his character. I mean, Mac is beyond a shadow of a doubt the sort of temperamental man-child poster boy in this episode. Yeah. Um, and. The wonderful thing, and I think that I will talk a lot about Deborah Pratt's writing of this episode, is that the script never has a moment where he explains himself, and I think that that is brilliant. 
There's the scene where she explains him to him. That's and it. He, yeah. And he actually kind of tries to deny it. Yeah. But you can tell that obviously she's pegged him. Yeah. And I think that that is, is a wonderful reversal because I think that we see a lot of times hmm. when you have a character like this, they explain themselves to the love interest. Like, this is the reason why I am the way I am, and you should love me and accept me for who I am. Yeah. And instead, the script smartly kind of turns that convention on its ear and has the woman say, this is the why you are the way that you are, and I'm willing to not accept you as you are, but to say, you don't need to be the way that you are. Sure. You know, and not in like a, I can fix him sort of way, but just in a very sort of matter of fact, mm-hmm. Yeah. this is why you are who you are, you know? Yeah. Um, and I really appreciate that about the script. Yeah. It is worth noting, uh, it, it was mentioned a couple of places along the way, that uh, this role was apparently like written with Bob Saget in mind. Oh, really? Okay. Bob Saget. Excellent. Uh, and he even said uh, it was on uh, an episode of Entertainment Tonight around the time the episode aired that uh, he knew a lot of people like Mac. Mm, in particular, sure. like, like stand-up comics who, when they got heckled, they could not handled it and they absolutely lost their shit yeah i yeah i can yeah i can imagine you know i I can imagine um yeah 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 it's a difficult thing it's a very very difficult thing to deal with like i've 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 only done stand-up a couple of times it's just never been something that sure i i I wanted to dip my toe into it and i wanted to be like i enjoyed writing that was kind of more my thing um, and I would go on, you know, at like two o'clock in the morning at a couple of open mic nights just to kind of test it out and have a little fun with it. And it was enjoyable. You know, I had a good time. I didn't get heckled. Cool. You know, I made a couple people laugh. Sure. Um, I'm not a stand up comic. But that said, being at those things and being around other stand up comics, which I, inevitably in the theater world, you know, you run into somebody who does stand up or, yeah. you know, does storytelling or something like that. And, and having seen people get heckled and some pretty mercilessly, like mm-hmm. it's. It's interesting the way that you see people deal with it. And I've seen people resort to never physical violence, but I've seen people resort to, like, out-and-out misogyny and sexual harassment and racism. Like, that's what they go to. It's In fact, you know, it's funny, now that I'm thinking about it, I didn't put these two together, but it's almost like... um, the actor that played Kramer on uh, Seinfeld. Michael, uh, uh, Michael Richards. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, who? He, like, that was his defense mechanism. He got heckled, and he went to racism. Oh, God. Horribly. Right, which, as yeah. we've talked about on the show before, is in and of itself a kind of violence, really. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. By the way, uh, if, you, if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, this was, like, back in 2006, 2007. Um, yeah, like um, Michael Richards was being heckled. Uh, I can't remember. It's 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 a it's a famous comedy club chain. I can't remember what it's called now. Uh, but he was being heckled in the no no he he wasn't even being heckled in the show. It was there were just some people up in the balcony who were talking loudly and not paying attention, and those people were black. Yeah, and the Laugh Factory is where the Laugh Factory. Yeah, and so he just. He's trying to do his routine. He's trying to do teen, trying to do his routine, and then finally he started shouting, "Quiet! Be quiet!" And then he just started saying a ton of horribly racist stuff, dropping the N word. Uh, and then when the audience turned on him, like he tried to do, kind of like this 
Lenny Bruce thing and like tried to shift it to like, oh, we're still hung up on these words and these words. But by this point, like the the, the footage that I saw, like people are already like getting up, yeah, and 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 walking out of the show. Now, by contrast, a good example to take it back to Patton Oswalt. I don't know if there's footage out there anywhere online. Like, there's video, there's audio footage that I heard years ago. Yeah, um, he wasn't being heckled necessarily but Patton Oswalt he has like brilliant comedy and like he has like summer longer stories that he just like takes a while to set up the punchline yeah and so he's doing a show I think it was like maybe even like one of his specials or something yeah and he's setting up a joke he's setting up a joke and and he's taking his time and he's going very methodically and right in the middle of a pause someone in the audience goes woo (laughs) And it just takes all the piss out of it. Yeah, yeah. And he chastises him a little bit, and he starts to move on, and then he comes back to it because he just can't let it go. And I can't remember exactly everything he says, but it, but it was like, it ended with, you douchebag. Yeah. You're going to miss everything cool and die angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I, I mean, that's the, that's the interesting thing, is that I think comics can have... A, and I've read a few books on it as well, but there, there's there's a a way to handle that, which you can you can certainly you know kind of go the insult route, mm. but the way that like you just described Patton Oswalt doing it was it, it, it was making fun of that person, mm. but in a situational way that didn't cut to them personally. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and and I it think cut that, specifically to the action that they did. Yeah, and I think that that's great. One of my favorites that I've ever seen is Richard Pryor, actually, and it's mm. a very it doesn't involve heckling necessarily, but there's an audience member who's coming in late, and and this is a filmed like Spe- you know, yeah. special, and they come in late, and they're sitting like in the front row. So they come in, and he, like you can see him, see them walking down the aisle, walking all the way to the front, walking across in front of all of these people. And Pryor just kind of like stops and just like watches him, and the whole way is just watching him. And he's like, "You good? You, you, how you doing? How you yeah. doing? You good? All right, all right. I'm gonna do this thing, you know." And it's just, just it's this wonderful thing where it's like he's calling out the behavior, but he doesn't insult the person. He doesn't. He's having fun with it. He's not mad. Like the whole time, like it, I mean, Pryor's even laughing as it's happening, like sure, kind yeah. of reveling in the absurdity of the moment. And I think that you know, stuff like that is, it, to me, is is the good humor in it is great. Now, of course, I've also seen brilliant comics like Bill Hicks deal with hecklers in ways that are eviscerating, but still, you can't help but laugh because it's it, there's there's a way to be to be mean without demeaning mm-hmm. the room, if yeah. you will, you know. And then I've seen, on the other hand, I've seen comics like demean the room. You know, uh, uh, as opposed to going after a behavior or a specific person or a specific moment or whatever, and and obviously with like what we're talking about with the Michael Richards thing, like he demeaned the room, mm-hmm. and one could argue in a very different way that what Mac does in this episode demeans the room, demeans the art form because he resorts sure. to physical violence. Like at that particular point, no one's having a good time anymore. Yeah, he ruined it for everyone. Yeah, and I think that that kind of is the key. It's the idea that in that particular position that you're in, which as scary as it can be, is also a position of power. Mm-hmm. You know, people have paid money to come to see you and, and, and they expect something in return to, to laugh. Yeah. If you're good at it, you're going to control the tempo of the room and you're all going to have a good time. If you're not good at it, okay, fine. You know, you, you had a bad night or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you resort to something like what he did, you've ruined it for everybody. 
Oh, you've yeah. ruined it for yourself. You've ruined yeah. it for the audience. You've ruined it for the guy who's running bar. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and, and and I think that that's kind of the difference in sort of a good, a positive way to deal with a heckler and a negative way to deal with a heckler. Exactly. Right now, if people could interact with this live right now, they would be heckling less. <laughs> to get back to the point of the episode. Uh, no, but that was a good little diversion. Uh, and we're coming up with what may be one of my favorite scenes of the episode is like in the hallway. Immediately, immediately after yeah. they leave the stage. Just because it's, it's just like this nice little comedy of Al showing up and interjecting and Al having a con- and Sam having a conversation with Al. But then the guy, Miss Hearing, like, you're fired. I wish you'd give me a heads up about this. I just totally believe yeah. it was a nice. Deborah Pratt nails on multiple occasions this scene uh-huh. we were just talking about and the scene outside the car, outside the diner are oh, yeah. two brilliant examples of overlapping, like energized yeah. dialogue where she builds a trust enough with the audience and the actors do that as well. That you're not, you don't miss anything, hmm. regardless of what conversation you're paying attention to, regardless of what moment, and what beat. I mean, it's directed perfectly as well and it and it yes it sparkles and i'm glad you brought up our friend al calavici because thank christ somebody knows how to write al again because it has been a while since we had a good al and fuck this is a good al (laughs) this is a good al (laughs) yes even though even though he's engaging in his you know misogynistic lothario behavior on multiple occasions within the episode this is a good this is yes He's got some good outfits in this episode. He's got some great outfits in this episode. That lilac suit that he's got like towards the end. Oh yeah, ah, it's awesome. It's nice. Yeah, he's nice. Costumes in general. Yeah, in general. Jean Pierre. Jean Pierre. Hat tip. Absolutely. Uh, Hat tip to you. Um, Yeah, this. uh, Yeah, the the built like wherever they found like the set for this building, it was like just like this old building, like the backstage of the comedy club. Yeah, really. Yeah. well, and like yeah. the um, the clippings that are on the wall, oh yeah, and like yeah, yeah, it's got some nice texture. It to reminded it. me. Uh, have you spent a lot of time in the Athenaeum here in Chicago? Not a lot. It reminded me a lot of like yeah. Like I was like, where have I seen that building before? Yeah, I was like, oh, that that seems like very much like the Athenaeum. I can I can like, see that, which is a performance venue here in the in, yeah here in Chicago. Yeah, um, I've spent more time in the audience at that that place, but that was the like the big like the, yeah. See that that's more like. Uh, so the Anthony it's a performance venue here in Chicago. It does have a big theater, uh, but it also has a lot of like smaller black box theaters that a lot of like smaller like storefront theater companies in Chicago use. Yeah. So if you go see a lot of shows in those smaller theaters, you'll get like more like into the building and you'll like you'll walk around the halls like in that. Right, right, right. Um, and that thing there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the theater is beautiful. The last time I went there, we uh, stuff you should know. Uh, which oh is yeah, a yeah. Podcast. Mm-hmm. They did like a live recording. Uh, almost five years ago. I mean, the big the big theater, the big space there has hosted some some big names. I mean, Trevor yeah. Noah uh, did uh, The Daily Show from there oh, that's uh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. a couple of years ago, two yeah. years ago, or something like that. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's it's, and, it's a space. Yeah, and going back to Pat Oswalt, uh, he did his first stand-up special, Annihilation, after his wife passed away. Mm. And, I don't know, have you seen that one? I haven't yet, no. Oh, I've, yeah, I've heard really good things about it. Uh, I mean, like, the first half hour, like, it's all warm-up. And then he gets into the meat of it. Yeah. And it's about his wife passing away. Yeah. In case you don't know, uh, 2016, his wife passed away in her sleep. Uh, a mixture of uh, taking sleeping pills because she was working really hard on a book about the Golden Gate Killer. Um, between that and an undiagnosed heart condition. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so he talks about that. Yeah. And it's... Yeah. Well, it's called Annihilation. Right. So... <laughs> right. Yeah. Um... But yeah, this is a, a really great scene. You get like everybody, you, everything gets set up in this first scene in a really great way. Yeah, uh, Mac, uh, Mac and Amy Asbeck's character, Frankie, Mac and Frankie, they're in love with each other, uh, but they have this toxic kind of relationship of you know, yeah, angry shouting, yelling, especially from Mac. And even though they just had a horrible showing on stage. Uh, Carlo DeGorio? DeGorio? Yeah, DeGorio. Uh, Carlo DeGorio wants to hire them. Basically, he wants Frankie. Yeah. Uh, for his show out in Vegas. Yeah. So this point, I know we were talking about this off mic earlier. We start off in the Poconos. We end up in Vegas. We have a cross-country road trip here. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because the, the there's something that doesn't jive about the driving time either. Because that's a 35-hour no. No, because right. that's what because that's why when I was rewatching the episode last night, I thought I misheard the Poconos because it seemed like it's just like an overnight drive. Yeah. But one thing they do uh, that kind of tips you off to it is that you just think like they're leaving there and they're driving there overnight. Right. But Al is in a different outfit when they're having the conversation in the car, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that kind of tips you off that. Right. Yeah, they're going across country. Yeah. 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 And I'm just like, we, I mean, it's a television show and you only got 45 minutes, but, you know, just for, for Sam to get the opportunity in the late 50s to just take a road trip across country. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while season. since we've had multiple locations like this, too, like crossing yeah. state lines. And sure. Going, you know what I mean? Like, uh, in, in general, we're used to, uh, you know, he leaps into New York City, he's in New York City. You yeah. Know? He, he leaps into California, he's in California, you yeah. know. Um so that it's kind of a nice little aspect of the episode, I think. Yeah. Um, and then the yeah the the, the road trip itself um, has some great moments because you're you're given the opportunity to have Al and Sam kind of dialogue about what's happening, sure. what's going to happen, and at the same time you get some wonderful moments of Frankie and Mac in the back seat of the car, and it's yeah. like they can't even sleep comfortably next to one another. No, like yeah. they are in each other's way so, so much. much. Yeah. Oh, but the wood paneling on that car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We get a really great stock footage shot uh, when they when they roll into Vegas, by oh, yeah. the way. That, mm-hmm. that, it, it's one of those rare instances where the stock footage is in such great condition. That yeah. In particular, like on the Blu-ray, like it, it looks like it actually fits. You oh, know? Okay. Like we get a yeah. lot of other stock footage moments where it's just sort of like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> but this is one where it actually kind of matches up nicely. Yeah. Yeah. So we uh, we get the scene in the diner, which is a fun. It's a fun energetic scene. Kind yeah. of messing around, like messing around with the poor trucker. The one of yeah, the thing that I really enjoyed who, who about looks it, like who looks like Hank from Moments to Live twenty years later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, he does, um, and I and I love the energy mm-hmm. in this particular scene because it it conjures up that vibe that I think um, like Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime has yeah. done a really wonderful job of conjuring up the scene of these comics and, mm. and, and and what the process is like. Yeah, and and I think you know for Mac in particular, he is one of those comics that is always trying bits out. Yeah. He's always on. We all, we all know this person, yeah, and right. they are exhausting. <laughs> yes, yes. I used to be this person in my early to mid-20s. <laughs> yes. And, and it, but at the same time, he's thoughtful enough 
that once he sits down, he grabs a napkin and a pen and starts writing. Yeah. Like, he, this is clearly, like, this is an artist. Yeah. You know, all foibles aside, like, this is an artist, and mm-hmm. he is just, you know, trying stuff out. And it's clear that Frankie is, it gets swept up in it as well, and energized by it as well, which is all the more, I think, demeaning to her when yeah. Mac... Oh, God. ...starts saying, women aren't funny, women can't be comedians, women, you know. That was, yeah. And this, would, and this is important to note, like, uh, I feel, I mean, because this, that whole debate over whether or not women can be funny, and I, I, debate, maybe I shouldn't even use that word. Women are funny. They are funny. Right. Like, yeah, but there's always this thing that comes out every so often that women are funny. And I remember, it was like 97, where Jerry Lewis, going back to him, where he got himself in a bit of trouble, where he flat out, because uh, Lucille Ball was given, like, some award like in the late 90s yeah and jerry lewis was asked about it and he flat out said i've never thought women are funny i can't remember how exactly he said it but basically he thought like they were just like basically supposed to be housekeepers like making babies i think he actually said like making babies yeah and that yeah yeah got him got a little bit of trouble uh it is interesting to note um uh, and I read this recently because I was flipping back through like the the Quantum Leap book or the complete Quantum Leap book as they released in the early '90s. One, uh, the first version they released uh, before the last season, and then they did came back and they did the complete Quantum Leap book afterwards. Um, but in, they interviewed Dean Stockwell for that book mm-hmm. at the time that they were filming this episode. Yeah, and it's really, if you got the book, uh, go read it. It's an interesting read. Um, you really, like, rereading that recently, like, you really get the sense it's Dean Stockwell plays Al so well, but he is not Al. Right. He is a much more kind of reserved, thoughtful person. And, like, reading this interview, like, I really got the sense, like, he didn't even really want to be interviewed. Like, he appreciates his downtime. He's in between scenes. Yeah. What am I being interviewed for? Um, he's, he's absolutely, seems to be certainly based on his, you know, credits. One of those actors that unlike what we were talking about with Mac, where he's always on, like he can kind of just flip a switch Yeah, and it's like, I'm on now. And once he's not, he's, he's, he is, he's off. Yeah. And, and, and like you said, he, he wants to be off. Yeah. Uh, and, and, um, and I, I, I respect that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all, but you look at the characters that he plays and a lot of those characters are kind of big, you know, bold Mm. characters. Um, I mean, whether you're looking at like Battlestar Galactica or Quantum Leap or Married to the Mob or, or any of a number of other roles. I mean, some of the stuff that he did in his early, early years, obviously I think was a little bit more, you know intense and, and method for lack of a better word but mm. certainly in his in his later career it was very much a case of like he went to work yeah and there's nothing wrong with that no yeah because he was damn good at it yeah so <laughs> so uh anyway so they're interviewing him and, he, and somewhere in the interview like he talks about how he he likes the process of like sometimes like improvising lines and and so like the interview is like well like what's like one of your favorite things that he's that, you, that, that you've improvised before on the show and he and basically just like well like recently and he brings up this this diner scene mm-hmm. and he was like um, there was some line in the original script he was supposed to say something towards the waitress that was kind of like a hat tip to Jack Nicholson in the diner scene and I can't remember uh, uh, um, uh, I can't remember what the name of that movie was it was supposed to be some reference to that but at the last minute uh, Stockwell decided to improvise a line where uh, 
somebody is holding a ketchup bottle. I think the waitress is holding a ketchup bottle, and he makes some crack about like, "Do you use that on her hair?" Yeah, and uh, obviously that that got cut from right. the final. From the final scene. It's five easy pieces. Okay. Right. I almost said three easy pieces, and I was like, that's not right. <laughs> that doesn't sound. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, if you got the Quantum Leap book or anything, go go check that interview out, because like they interviewed him, and I think Scott, I think everybody involved, like they were interviewing around at the same time. Yeah. Was like, yeah. Yeah, it was a good book. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, uh, it's been a while since I, since I flipped through it, but uh, uh, yeah. It, it's funny, because I think that there were books since that book, mm-hmm. like on like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or the X-Files yeah. or some of the Game of Thrones stuff that are certainly more in depth sure, and, and, and focus like on specific seasons and are like twice as long as that book was, but for what it was and when it came out and the show that it was about, like, oh, yeah. it's got some cool material in there. Oh yeah. I mean, especially know? like at a time when you didn't see a lot of that. Right. Of, like, like, production... like, like outside of like say Star Trek, which is, yep. Did that like, you know, from like when it really like boomed back up in the seventies and eighties, but yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Speaking of Star Trek, we are not a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> Picard, Picard debuts. That's right. This week, I'm gonna have to re-up my CBS All Access. I think a lot of people are gonna be doing the same. Yeah. I've heard very good things about it. It looks fantastic. I believe in the creative team. You know, Michael mm-hmm. Chabon is an incredible writer. Um, I, you know, he's probably got a great vision for it. If Patrick Stewart's on board, uh, that's enough for me. But the fact that they're bringing certain characters mm-hmm. back. I think is is brilliant, and as a fan of Star Trek, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Oh, so. I, for, oh I forgot about that awful shot of Data in one of the first. Tr- uh, yeah, yeah. My guess is we're not a Star Trek podcast. This is just a slight diversion. My guess is is Data is going to be the form of a holograph, holograph, uh, uh, holodeck character. Either <laughs> I, either that or or it's in Picard's head. Because yeah, there yeah, is, yeah. because there, because I, I, I heard one thing that sounds very true. But in the in all good things, the final episode of Next Generation, he's been diagnosed with a, a sort of a uh, sure yeah. neurological disorder, and one of the effects of that neurological disorder is seeing things. Sure, and so like that's one of the reasons why in the future scenes in All Good Things, people aren't taking him seriously. Gotcha. Um, even even his interactions like with Q, they think he's imagining it. So yeah. I'm wondering if if. That that's if they what's bring it back. Like yeah, mm. like if, it, if it's just in his head and he's imagining these conversations, yeah, and racked with guilt over whatever it is that he did that he can't get over, yeah. Which I guess is one of the big hooks. So yeah, we're not a Star Trek podcast. We're not. Yeah, uh, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so uh, yeah. Um, so another back. Well, they had the, the the scene afterwards. I love the overlapping dialogue in that scene. Yeah. And I love the way that Al, like, again, Al has written so well in this episode, and he has a hand in the events, and he's really, like, he's active, and, and, and I just appreciate so much the way that he's written in this episode. But I love the fact that it backfires when he's like, you gotta get him to kiss, you gotta get him to kiss. Yeah. And then she ends up kissing Sam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a great moment. I forgot all about that moment until we got up to, to that. Yeah. So, yeah, they have a huge fight, and then they go, uh, at this point, like, this is when... Is this uh, shortly after they get to Vegas and then Max storms off and he goes to a bathroom and they have that scene? Another wonderful scene, actually. Yeah. 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 Uh, A lot of great individual scenes. I love the fact that this is is the first time that, obviously, you know, Mm -hmm. and certainly as a modern television watcher, you know, like, the neuroses that are are Mac at this point. But... To actually see him vocalize the whole thing, you yeah. know, to, 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 to be like, 
you know, we go on a date and then we, and then we get married and then we get the house and then we get the kids and then we get the divorce and we get the, you know, and all yeah. of that. And it's a wonderful, and it's a nice homage, I think, to like a Woody Allen-esque kind of, yes. you know, yeah. yeah. Which why I, because yes, that was me when I was dating. Totally. And I, and I remember that scene, it, like, that's one of the scenes that's always stuck with me is like, of him going through that thing and, and Sam going, well, before you, you get to the divorce, mm-hmm. ask her out again. Because that used to be, because uh, when I was on OK Cupid, yeah, years ago. Here, here, here's my thing on OK Cupid. I would see someone's profile who I liked. I would open up another tab. I would start writing her a, a thoughtful message, not just like "Hey, what's up," yeah. but I would like write her a, start to write her a longer message to like indicate like "Hey, I've read your profile, and there are things I find interesting about you and that we have in common." And then I would start writing the thing, right? And I would keep reading her profile, and I was like, "Oh, that's a red flag." That's a red flag. Yeah, we wouldn't get along because of this. Uh-huh. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. I would spend 45 minutes drafting a message <coughs> and then delete it. Yeah. And then move on. Because I did I did what Mac did. Yeah. Because I, I just jumped to the end of our relationship instead of just saying, hey, how you doing? Right. Yeah. It's a, it, 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 that sort of self-sabotage, I, I, I think, is a very human thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that while we don't all do it in that way, I think it is something that kind of connects us. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it's in our nature to second guess things. <laughs> but I think some people, you know, some people might be a little bit more confident, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more outgoing and in and, and, and the moment and just go for it. But I think that everyone, you know, exhibits that kind of second guessing and self-sabotage sort of behavior at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us just do it in different, different ways. In different ways, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I also I love the uh, the ending of this scene. Um, the the uh, the whole um, they shake hands and you know Sam's like trying to usher them out of the bathroom mm-hmm. and then Mac stops and was like I came in here for a reason. Oh yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah <laughs> really, okay, yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to back up just briefly to uh, Sam's voiceover um, that he has on his way to the bathroom and I yeah. love it. The you know long time since I had a heart to heart with a friend over a woman. I think that is a great revealing line about Sam, about how Sam views the people that he's surrounded by when he leaps mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, and, and it, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to praise her too much, you know, deliver too many laurels at her feet, but sure. I think that... Because remember, always portrait for Troy. But I think that, honestly, this is a line that I genuinely feel like only Deborah Pratt could write. I feel mm-hmm. like she, as a writer, knows Sam in a way that a lot of other writers on this show don't. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. There are a lot of other writers that write him brilliantly, but this is just one of those, I don't know, really revealing lines about Sam... Um, because you almost have to imagine that the last friend that he probably did have a conversation with the woman about was Al. Sure. And in his mind, that was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it also gives you some great insight as to how he views Mac. Yeah. And that there is a, a bit of tenderness there. That, that, you know, that, he, that he's not completely like, this guy's such a jerk and he's insufferable. And like, he's, like, he's difficult, he's difficult. But there was something I liked about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really, really like that line. And I think it's a, it's a... Yeah. Now here's why that voiceover took me out of the episode. Sure. It is the only voiceover in the entire episode. Yeah. And sometimes they are really inconsistent with that with the writing. Sure. There are some episodes where Sam will narrate the entire episode... And then there are other episodes like this where they just drop this random voiceover in the middle of the episode. It's like, what? what, what yeah. Like, what? What? 
I get that. It's an, you know, it's an interesting device, and it's an interesting device for, you know, film and television. I just say, if you're going to do it, do it consistently. Sure, Do it course. from the beginning of the episode. At least have three or four instances of it through the episode. Right. Uh, to me, like, when it pops up randomly just, like, one time in an episode, I'm like, oh, you couldn't figure out how to write the scene and convey that information in dialogue. Right. Our friend, the voiceover. I'm sensitive to that because I had a professor in college who... Uh, he, uh, a theater professor who is very against like any kind of like voiceover or narration or everything because mm-hmm. he just he's like it's always a sign of weak writing. Mm. So when I see it in anything, I'm like, mm. yep. I always, anytime I think of voiceovers, I always come back to Blade Runner. Okay, because Blade Runner has at this particular point like literally five or six available cuts of the mm. film. The original cut of the film was lousy with voiceover. Mm-hmm. Harrison Ford narrated that whole fucking picture, basically. Yeah. The director's cut... And that's a theatrical release. Yeah. The okay. director's cut that came out in, like, the late 80s, early 90s, I believe. Um, I, I'd have to double-check my work on this, so forgive me if I'm yeah. not right, but I think he eliminated all of the voiceover narration. Mm-hmm. So it's not there at all. Yeah. Basically, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Which, in a lot of ways, was Ridley Scott's initial vision is that the you know he was telling a story that was beyond this like detective story yeah. that, that that the narration the voiceover narration kind of turned it into yeah. There's another cut of the film where there's some of that voiceover is returned, but some of it's left out. There's another cut of the film where it's like it, it, there are different pieces of scenes that do the same thing that the voiceovers did that weren't in the original cut. It's, 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 it's so convoluted, the history of that film. Um, but anyway, I always think of that film whenever I think of voiceovers just because I think it's an example of... Wow. You can literally see a, 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 a work and say, this is what it's like with voiceover, this is what it's like without, this is what it's like with a little bit, this is what... It, you know, and, I, uh, and I, I, I'm fascinated by that because they do become very different films. Yeah. Um, well, this is, I mean, I'm going to admit, I have never seen Blade Runner. Yeah. And the way I understand it, and I, this must be the version with all the voiceover, it's almost kind of like a noir. Yeah. Which makes sense, because that's part of the of the gimmick of noir. Right. Is oftentimes to have the protagonist explaining everything to you. Right. Right. It's an interesting device. I think it can mm-hmm. be. Yeah, I think it can be used properly and done well. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I, I can think of some European films that have like voiceovers and, and, and things to you know, as, as sort of transition pieces. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. It didn't bother me here. Yeah. Anyway, and I will say, and this is uh, overall before we move on. What always in the end bothered me about the voiceover, Sam's voiceover for Quantum Leap in general, is that I always assumed that I didn't just see it as a writing device. I always assumed that Sam was narrating his entire story after it was over with. Oh, interesting. Interesting, okay. And then the series gets to where it does. I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess that, that's the, that that is part of the device as well as the conceit. You have to yeah. wonder, is it's like, am I inside this character's head mm-hmm. at this specific moment in time? You know, is, are these that character's thoughts? Yeah. Um, is this a fourth wall breaking sort of device where the character is talking directly to the audience? Mm-hmm. 
Um, is it a narrative device like what you're saying, where they are indeed telling, narrating the story in, you know... After the fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I always, I think for, for me, just as a part of the suspension of disbelief, I always just take it as that those are the character's thoughts in that specific moment. Yeah. And we're just hearing them. Sure. Um, I guess I'm, maybe I'm more comfortable with that. I don't know. I don't know either. I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm, I'm more comfortable with it now, but as a kid... Sure. I thought all this narration was yeah after the fact. Well, it's so fascinating that you say that because for me, with Blade Runner, to go back to that real quick, when I was a kid, I loved the original version. Mm-hmm. I loved that voiceover narration. Now, as an adult, I love the silent... Mm-hmm. Well, not exactly silent, because rain is pretty much sure. consistently yeah. fall. That rain-soaked atmosphere that is created with these flickering images, mm-hmm. you know, that Ridley Scott paints yeah. with uh, over... Harrison Ford, God love him. Yeah. <sighs> now, if we're I... past the spoiler embargo on Rise of Skywalker, right? God, yeah, please. Fuck, he's so goddamn good. He's oh, only yeah. on screen for like yeah. 30 seconds. I mean, that's the scene of the movie. That's the best scene in the fucking yeah. movie. That might be one of the best scenes in the entire fucking franchise. Sure. Like, and then you realize uh, their, their dialogue in that scene is almost identical to their dialogue yeah. on the bridge uh, in Force Awakens. And the moment that sinks it for me mm-hmm. is Dad. I know. Yeah. Which is that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just such a beautiful, it, it pays tribute to, to the best of Star Wars, in my opinion. It pays tribute to Carrie Fisher. It pays tribute. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just such a beautiful, perfect, well done moment. Yeah. Amidst arguably a lot of moments that aren't perfect and well done. Yeah. Although I would certainly argue that anytime the Adam's on screen, it's, it's, you, you can't, it's pretty much unbeatable. Uh, Adam Driver? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Anyway, back to Quantum Leap here. Um, yes. Uh, and so now they start, now that they're there at the Sands, we've got the setup of, of, of Carlo. He's, there's a reason they got hired, and it's very clear. Right. He is, he is interested in Frankie, but they, they got to go about the business of putting together their act. Yes. Uh, and I had forgotten, like, when I was a kid... I watched this episode over and over again a lot, mm-hmm. and I think it's just because of because uh, there was a time like I fancied myself like ended up becoming like a song and dance man and comedy yeah. man, and so like just like the montage of them like putting the comedy bits together and like the actual show, that's my favorite part is like mm-hmm. is like putting all of it together. And then there's this one, I don't know if you know what, what they were doing here. Like there's this one scene in the montage of them putting the act together where. They're doing the scene, and Al is standing off to the side holding up a newspaper like he's reading it. Yeah. And I'm like, was that supposed to be a reference? I, no I mean, like, I, I guess when I was younger, I always thought, like, Al, maybe, like, he had a newspaper, and, like, that, that's where he was getting his idea for comedy bits or something. Yeah. But to me, it seemed like they were specifically, like, trying to set up a visual gag, a reference to an old classic comedy bit. <laughs> That I wasn't getting. That could very well be. <laughs> Ziggy just chimed in. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, honestly, I don't know. It, I, I think that this might be a great opportunity to mention for a moment that the episode tips its hat to a lot of classic comedy mm-hmm. acts. You know, name checks, 
name drops, you know, yeah. however you want to put it, uh, a lot of comedy acts. I mean, Martin and Lewis, Burns and Allen, um, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, Fanny Bryce and Nikki Arnstein, which is actually an interesting one because Nikki Arnstein had nothing to do with Fanny Bryce's act whatsoever. He was a con artist and oh, a gambler yeah. and, like, her second husband, played by Omar Sharif and Funny Girl. Um, but uh, anyway, it, it's just, it's so fascinating because the fact that that's who... Mac decides to bring up. Oh yeah, like yeah. when when they name check Fanny Bryce is funny to me because arguably he got more out of that relationship than Fanny Bryce did, and so it's like it's it's, it's a wonderful like you have to be whip smart to really get that one, but like to the and sure, I didn't yeah. get it at the time. I had to look it up, but like to to undercut it with that, I thought was really kind of cute. But um, and then obviously Woody Allen, Groucho Marx, Steve Allen, you know, a lot of classic. Uh, uh, comedians mm-hmm. and, and, and duos um, uh, are name checked, name dropped throughout the course of the episode, and then the, some of the bits that they put together, uh, while not the actual bit, are are based on bits that yeah. you know, uh, like the Steve Allen Man on the Street interviews, the yeah. Superman Supergirl bit, the um, uh, My Brother Just Escaped from the Asylum bit, like all, you know, all of that are, are steeped in a lot of classic mm-hmm. um, um, sort of you know post. Uh, vaudeville, yeah. but pre, you know, TV, uh, or, sure. or, or at the very genesis of, of early sure. television. Th- that's where a lot of that comedy comes from. And one of the reasons why I want to bring that up too is because I found in some of the modern day critiques, uh, or at least critiques from the past ten or fifteen years, uh, people criticize the episode for not being funny. First of all, I disagree. I think the episode's very funny. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I think that any time you end up doing some of that type of humor, you run the risk of not making it feel immediate and present. Mm-hmm. Like it's, 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 it's that, it's that I say this about some Shakespeare that I see sometimes it feels it's, it belongs in a museum, not mm-hmm. on a stage. Yeah. And that to me is one of the biggest mistakes that, um, a lot of amateur companies specifically, but even professional companies make with something like Shakespeare, they think that Shakespeare has to be done a certain way. Sure. And that is wrong. Yeah. You know, if anything, those plays need to feel as immediate as something that was written yesterday. Yeah. And so I think that it's, it's, it's a danger when you present bits like this. However, I would argue in particular, my lunatic brother bit, that bit is done wonderfully Mm -hmm. and it relies a great deal on Bob Saget oh yeah and one of my favorite bits of the episode is exactly what you're talking about when they're rehearsing that scene and seeing Saget get into character basically Mm -hmm. and then seeing the bit performed later albeit truncated like that's Bob Saget yeah like that's like that's quality work yeah and it's and it I just I really enjoyed that yeah yeah it was great yeah and I was like, I was looking up the history, like, yeah, because this is like the, the the late fifties, like the fifties, like you you saw a lot of shows like this, like kind of like variety comedy right. songs. Uh, the one I'm most familiar with is Jackie Gleason show Cavalcade of Stars, which turned into, uh, I think, the Jackie Gleason show. And a lot of people are familiar with the Honeymooners, but what they don't realize is that the Honeymooners was a regular bit on Cavalcade of Stars, and it got so popular. They spun it off into its own sitcom, yep. which only lasted one season, and then it got folded back into Cavalcade of Stars. Yeah, um, the classic Thirty Nine, I think they're called, is, is the one season episode. Yep. But it's it. Uh, I was a huge Honeymooners fan when I was a kid. So, uh, why I know this stuff? 
But, and then in the mid-80s, they found a bunch of the old sketches. And they call them the Lost Episodes. Yeah. And Jackie Gleason apparently was like, okay, well, let's either destroy them because they were like on old, like, uh, kinescape, kinescope. Kinescope, yeah. Yeah, they were, they were like all old kinescope and they were about to, like, rot. And he was like, alright, let's either destroy them or do something with them. So they did a huge special, they made a big deal about them, and then they started rerunning them on late night TV. Yeah. Uh, and if you go back and you watch those, those old sketches are a lot funnier than the sitcom. Sure. It just, it's, yeah. In a tomb. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, 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 and that's not to say that obviously episodes like Shock Theater and Leap Back aren't important episodes and good episodes, strong episodes. Um, but episodes like this are the episodes that I would pick mm. to go on a list to show a first timer sure. as a marathon, you yeah. know? Um, and, and, and I just, I, it, it just made like, it, it, it just, I don't know. There's something about this episode that I feel like has been missing vacant for such a large part of this season. I gotcha. Yeah. Fair enough. What, what were your thoughts? I want to know what you were thinking. Uh, I mean, at this point it's, it's great moments like this, like the, I, I like, like the montage and uh, and the moment you just talk about, like, like, like the heart-to-heart scene and the, and the melodrama, that's all great. It's just the villain of the episode feels so unnecessary. Sure. To the point, like, I had completely forgotten, like, that's where, like, the te- a lot of the tension of this episode comes from. I really, I remembered everything about this episode but Carlo. You know, that's a really, really good point. And I think, I think that because I was so in love with these other aspects of the episode that mm-hmm. I kind of gave that a pass, but under a more critical eye and with what you just mentioned, you're absolutely right. Like he doesn't need to be there. And I think that there are some viewers that would probably disagree with us, mm-hmm. but I wonder, this is completely a supposition on my part. If Deborah Pratt turned in a script where Carlo didn't exist and somebody said, whether it was, you know, Belisario or Zinberg sure. or somebody else was like, ah, the stakes need to be high. We need life or death here. We need to, somebody needs to get shot. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And then this heavy gets added in at the last minute just to try to make things work. Yeah. Now, I will say, that being said, some of the better comedy moments in well. the episode. <laughs> I mean, they come from, like, they call out, like, at the, at the, like, the, like, going back to, like, the first scene in the hallway where Al drops that, that Mac's going to disappear like, before he even says it, like, Sam's like, don't tell me he's going to disappear. Yeah. I hate when you say he's going to disappear. Well, he's going to vanish. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like that. And my, probably, like, one of my favorite moments in the episode is when, like, oh, now you've changed history. Now Mach, now Mac's body is discovered in the desert in 1982. In 1985. Yeah. That being said, like, those gave some of the best comments. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Al has the line about, like, I'm going to go back and talk with Ziggy and see if we can't piece this together. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and again, but that's another wonderful example too of Pratt writing Al and the project in general in ways that we just haven't gotten in a while. Yeah, where they are actively trying to help Sam. Yeah, I feel like there have been some episodes lately where it's just been like Sam might as well not even have an Al or a project or back a Ziggy home or yeah. a Ziggy or you know what I mean. Yeah, which can be interesting, but I would rather have that be called out as opposed to it just being a writer just not even considering it. Yeah. You know, I would rather it be like, oh shit, 
you know, Ziggy's down or, oh my God, the imaging chamber's not working or, or something like that. Sure. As opposed to it just feeling like... I feel like, because I was, I was dwelling on this yesterday because I was also yesterday uh, re-watching Deliverous from Evil, mm. fifth season episode. Yeah. And uh, Al and Ziggy are very useless in that episode. And it, it, it's it's an easy crutch for them to lean on so that Sam doesn't have all the information. Right. And so, well, I mean, like, he should have, I mean, they have Alan Ziggy's disposal. Why, why does he have this information? Well, Alan Ziggy are not very helpful. Or Ziggy's not very helpful. Yeah. And it's like a crutch that they leaned on too much. Yeah. Like, like I said, at this point, like, but in this episode, like, Alan Ziggy and everybody about the project is helping. You know, and arguably, I think that that the an interesting tactic would have been to say, and it gets, it does get said a couple of times, like some of these situations that Sam gets into are sort of banal and everyday, mm-hmm. and like the only thing, the only information that we might have is an obituary or whatever. So why not highlight that? Why not have Al say something like, you know, Ziggy's having to comb through old newspaper articles from the fifties. Like, yeah. this is like this isn't easy stuff. Yeah. Like, with the, the, you know, these people, you know, that's the other thing. It's like in this day and age, it's so easy for us to be like, well, I know exactly where so and so was thirteen years ago because it says on Facebook that they were at blah 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 doing blah 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 with blah blah blah. Yeah. You know, and now, but sixty years ago, it wasn't like that. It's no. not like we were in the newspaper every day. It's like if your name was in the newspaper, that was a big deal. You cut yeah. that out. You put it in your photo album. You know, you showed it to your friends and relatives at Christmas. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like these days, like nobody gives a shit. Yeah. So I think that it, it, it's it's interesting that that wasn't something that maybe they didn't do a little bit more often. Yeah. Because I think that looking back on it, throwing a little context, sure. looking back on it, from today, we would be like, oh, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have had that. And instead, yeah. we're kind of having to make it up on our own. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. I'm thinking, speaking of, like, the like the the potential reboot that we threw in the last 20 right. minutes. And it just occurred to me right now, like, if they do a reboot, it would be really interesting if, like, they highlighted the project more back in, you know, back in present day. And I think, like, because, like, now in this iteration of the show, like, Ziggy is always supposed to pull, like, newspaper archives and whatever, and, like, she's supposed to come up with the information. It'd be interesting if they have a forensic team, kind of like the CSI team, like they have oh, in every God. episode. Like, kind of like, like, no, like, piecing together, like, newspaper articles and this bit of news and this bit of news. And, like, oh, this is the picture of what happened. Yeah. <coughs> I, 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 I don't want that. Okay. And this is the reason why. I would love to see what's happening at Project Quantum Leap. Mm-hmm. My fear, and I think it's the absolute wrong decision to make, is that it would end up feeling institutionalized like that. I don't think Project Quantum Leap should be institutionalized. I think Project Quantum Leap, much like it was in, in the novels and much like it is hinted at in the series, much like Fringe, I think that that's the way to handle it. The way that the Fringe division was handled in Fringe, that's the way you handle something like this. It needs to be the bastard stepchild of the bastard stepchild of the bastard stepchild program that they don't even want to pretend exists, that some crazy scientist got lucky on, and we disavow all knowledge, we don't want to have anything to do with it, they're underfunded, they're underpaid, there's like five people working on this damn thing. Like, I, I the last thing I would want is for some sort of like slick, high-tech CSI, NCIS bullshit, you know, fucking, no, I don't want that. Well, no, you wouldn't necessarily have to have it because, like, they are so underfunded, <laughs> and Ziggy is constantly breaking down one way or the other. Like, they do have to have the people there who are just like actually like physically pouring through old newspapers and stuff and like piecing together the 
piecing together a story. Yeah, maybe. I yeah. I don't know. So I'll just say I completely contradict myself. Carlo is useless, but the whole Carlo <laughs> subplot <laughs> does provide some of the better comedy. Yeah, and the episode, and it does, and 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 it, it does give the you know especially the the motivator for uh, Mac. I almost called him Danny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, poor Bob Saget. Uh, it does give the impetus for Mac to kind of storm off and, you know, be like, you trollop, I want nothing to do with you. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and, and gives us that beautiful scene. So I'm not saying it's completely unnecessary, but I do think that the heart of this episode and the drama of this episode is more about these characters and the way they're interacting and getting together and getting on stage than it is yeah. about this mobster who's going to try to kill someone. Sure. Because, like, in the end, what ends up saving... The, so, uh, we get to the comedy bit, like, like the, the comedy show montage. I love that. Sam I mean, singing. Sam singing, yeah. I would love to know, like, how much they actually filmed versus what ended up. Or unless it was so, like... Unless they had it, like, so precisely storyboarded that it was just, like... Well, we they do, knew exactly what they were going to do, and they... Yeah. We do know that Scott sang the whole song. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does make you wonder if there wasn't more of it, Yeah, you know, if they didn't, you know, I, I would, I would be more surprised if they just filmed snippets of these bits, Yeah, uh, than if they did do a, a smaller version, of course, like we're sure. not saying they did an hour and a half stage show here, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if there was like a 30 minute cut of the yeah. show as opposed to the like, you know, yeah. 90 second montage. Yeah. So they do them, yeah. So they do they do this montage, and then immediately after, like they've seen their nice closing song, and we've got through uh, what is it, Lane Turner Fields, yeah, you know, that, Fields yeah, the yeah. final name that she lands on, uh, and then uh, Mac is immediately dragged off by people with noses for faces, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, I guess is why I'm disappointed because Mac's redemption is not in him truly coming around. It's in Sam suddenly pulling out of his ass. What's going to save the day? Oh, they're engaged. Yeah. That's going to call off the dogs. It Yeah, it does end up becoming a little bit more... Uh, it's, I don't even know what I'm looking for now, but it's like this, you know, this comedy of convenience, this sort of, yeah. like, you know, just tying things up. It, it, it's... It, it works, I think, mm-hmm. for me, the viewer, because of the the, the actors in particular. Yeah. Um, you know, even Robert Miranda, who plays Carlo, yeah. like I, the way that he reacts to it. Like, it's it's cliched. It's nothing new. It's not anything inventive or smart. Sure. It feels like this works because it has to. Yeah. <laughs> as a, right, right. <laughs> we have to wrap this shit up. Yeah. Like, as opposed to... As opposed to me as the viewer being like, oh, what a really inventive way to get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's okay. Sure. I, you know, I love, it's predictable as shit, but yeah. I do love the fact that Carlo punches Mac. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I, it, it makes, I think that the punch in some ways makes the ending work even better. Mm-hmm. Because if it had just been, they're engaged, that's right, we're going to be married. Why didn't you say so? Hugs mm-hmm. all around. We're going to have this at my place. I would have been like, Jesus. But because he punches him, yeah. it does feel a little bit more like, all right, that guy got his he got his respect back. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Now, if he'd taken his knee out, that would have been like... He would have grabbed the guy's gun and just like, you know, like... Just, just shot, shot him. him. Yeah, just yeah. shot him once like, him. It's you like, know? you'll walk... And this, I, I, I am stealing this exchange I'm about to do from a short-lived Michael Madsen TV series called Vengeance Unlimited. Oh, God. Where 
Uh, but he, he takes a guy's knee out. Yeah. And and Michael Matz is like, he'll walk again. And somebody goes with a cane, it'll make him look debonair. <laughs> I just love to see that moment. She just shoots Mac in the knee. Yeah. You'll walk again with a cane. You'll look debonair. Yeah. <laughs> work it into the show. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, Mackie, uh, they're, they're going to be, uh, what's Mackie's last name? Uh, McKay McKay, yeah, that's yeah. going to be their act going forward. Which another thing that's really cool that we that we didn't mention before is that Daryl Zanuck is in the audience the mm-hmm. night that they do this show. That's right. Yeah, Daryl Zanuck, of course, at this particular point in time, actually, I was about to say something which I could be wrong about. No, at this particular point in time, was the studio head uh, of or no, he was no longer the studio. He had been the studio head uh, of 20th Century Fox. Um, okay. But he, at this point, he was actually not doing that. He went independent in 1956. He withdrew from the studio. Uh, but he went back um, to the studio in 1962. Uh, and the reason why is because apparently he had... Um, <laughs> he had uh, uh, to help with Cleopatra mm-hmm. um, and, and The Longest Day, which I guess The Longest Day was something that he was particularly very passionate about. He had served in World War II, mm-hmm. um, and according to all of the people around him at the time, when he came back, he was a very different man um, than, than when he went. And so I think that Longest Day was, was a project that he was passionate about, but he also had to save the studio from Cleopatra, because if anyone knows anything about Cleopatra, it ended up being, at the time, the most expensive movie ever made. Adjusted for inflation, it might still be, I don't know. Uh-huh. Uh, it was all sorts of craziness went on during that movie. Elizabeth Taylor almost died. Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor, some days they were speaking, some days they weren't. Uh, you know, some days they were having sex in their dressing room for days on end. Uh, you know, take it however you want it. Uh, wherever you can get it. But anyway, Daryl Zanuck is, is, is in the uh, audience that night, and he ends up signing them to a movie deal. That's how Sam's character, Davey, ends up meeting his wife. They go on to have yeah. uh, two girls and an oh boy. Uh, <laughs> which is another Again, the, good the, ally. Yeah, the, uh, the, the trope that they love to do of... We prove the success of a relationship by how many kids they have. Yeah. 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 And, oh, well, we should also mention there's the, the sweet scene of Sam getting pie-faced when the, the goon throws him that's into right. the table. And then... You know, that's one of the great... that I, it's, it's, it's very rare that you see Sam get his ass kicked. Yeah. And it's not even a contest in this one. No. And I really... It's like the moment like he tries to do the roundhouse kick and the guy just grabs his leg. Yeah. Deborah Pratt. She yeah. knows what she's doing. Yeah. She knows what she's doing. Yeah. It, it is interesting because even though obviously we know as viewers of this show that everything's going to turn out all right, mm. uh, I do feel like if someone gave Deborah Pratt the note along the way that they need to be in mortal danger at some point, mm. she puts them in mortal danger. Oh, yeah. And does it well. And, mm. and, and, and whatever you want to say about how they get out of it. For a moment there, it's it's pretty tense, mm-hmm. you know. And the fact that Sam does, like you say, get his ass kicked is is great. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the uh, the pie bit with Al? <laughs> it's listeners, if you could see Dennis's face right now, <laughs> it's in tone with the episode. I guess maybe here's what. I, I I would I would want to see instead of it being like this weird bit where they almost play it off where Sam does momentarily forget 
that Al is a hologram. Mm-hmm. I would love to have seen be seen it played as a moment between friends. Yeah. Of like Sam, like I'm gonna put this pie in your face. I'm gonna put this pie in your face. Yeah. Wah wah. We right. know it. Like for them to have a laugh together. Yeah. Instead of. Yeah. Yeah. This, this weird. Yeah, this weird button on the end of the episode, almost fourth wall breaking. Yeah. Button, and it's also. I mean, this is just it. it, it it's like one special, like the the special effect of of Sam leaping out. One, I think this is the only time in the entire series where you have the double special effect of Sam leaping out, and obviously Dean Stockwell superimposed on the scene as a hologram. Right. It yeah. just kind of weird. Yeah, I. Yeah, it's weird because to me, the one of the things that seems to happen is it's one of the very, 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 very rare occasions where it feels like maybe Scott and Dean aren't in sync. Because I feel when I was well, watching they're not. that scene... <laughs> well, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But because I feel like when watching the scene that Scott was doing exactly what you were just saying. Mm-hmm. That he's having fun knowing that there's no consequence. Yeah. But... Al slash Dean goes another direction with it. That's fair. And it's yeah. and it's, a, it's a very odd choice. And mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think it would have been really kind of... It would have... It would have put the bow on things in an episode that does end up having a good deal of heart. It would, yeah. have, it would have been nice to have that moment with Al and Sam. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's the thing. It's like maybe if they had a laugh afterwards. Right. But it's... Say goodnight, Gracie. And then immediately leap out. Yeah. And it's the thing, because they're not on set together, they don't have that connection. Yeah. There is, yeah. Yeah. And it's fine. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's, sure. there's no reason to pick it apart. Sure. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, our leap out. Yeah. So, here's the thing. If you haven't seen the film From Here to Eternity, go watch the film From Here to Eternity. You'll only need to see uh, uh, about two minutes of it to know exactly where they got this scene from. Okay. Like, this is, in essence, like, the opening scene from from here to eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, only without Burt Lancaster. But, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sam, Sam's in his skivvies on yeah. the beach. Awful wet. Yeah. Uh, finds a woman's brassiere. Yep. Yeah. A nude woman comes towards him. Yeah. Out of the water. And in Blu-ray, you see a lot. You really do. <laughs> you do. You can see that she's essentially topless, I think. Yeah. And maybe she probably has some pasties on. Right. And she's wearing some kind of weird... Yeah. ...like, device around her around her crotch that you put, can particularly see it when she... When she lays down on top of him. When she lays yeah. down on top of him, you can see it, like, at the top of her, like, lower back. Yeah. You can see... Like a flesh-toned sort a flesh-toned of thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. Um... um but even like for like early nineties, yeah, that was pretty, yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, NYPD Blue hadn't shown us Dennis Franz's ass, so yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, we do get one thing within the leap in, which I think is it's just, I mean, obviously it has to be there for authenticity's sake. But I think as a modern viewer of television, if we were to see this leap in, it would have set us talking for the next week. And people would have zoomed in on it and, and tried to figure out what they say. The dog tags. 
The dog tags are the thing that give you a hint that this is that something else is going on than just two people. Oh yeah, on the beach, mm-hmm. you know, doing it. Yeah. Um, and 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 again, I think like a modern television audience. Yeah, we would have. You would have gotten a screenshot. You would have zoomed in on that. You would have been like, "What are the? What do those dog tags say? Where is he? When is he? You know, trying yeah. to figure out all of that sort of stuff. Um, we know. Oh, only if we get a revival where people get that excited yeah, about right. stuff like that, right? So yeah, so that's kind of where we leave it. Yeah. What are your overall feelings on stand-up? Uh, I feel much better about the episode. Yeah. Because watching the episode last night, Betsy and me just weren't. Really? Dating. Yeah. Like, I remember, like I said, I used to watch this episode over and over when I was a kid. Sure. For the, like, for the comedy bits. Like, like them putting the show together. Um... Like like their 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 ending song at the end of the routine like I, like that was like ingrained in my head when I was a kid, uh, but yeah like and it was like all of the yelling and the shouting it made Betsy anxious she was not feeling it uh, talking it out I feel a lot better about the episode yeah yeah I, yeah I, yeah it, I mean it's not making anybody's top ten I think that is fair to say mm-hmm. um, although uh, so. Our friend over at the, our friend, he doesn't even know that we talk about him probably, um, but our friend over at the MacGyver Project, um, you know, he does this interesting thing where he basically, when he sums up and does the final analysis and the rankings of the episodes, he ranks them as he's going along. Yeah. So in other words, like, the first episode is one out of one, mm-hmm. you know? The But the third episode may end up being two out of three. Like, that's how okay. he ranks it. Yeah. So he ranks this one 17th out of 72, so pretty, 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 pretty high. Pretty, pretty high you know? there so far. Um, we should reach out to him at some point. So we should actually him. reach out to him. Uh, yeah, yeah. We yeah. should reach out. Uh, Larry Ganny. He's expressed interest in guesting on this next episode. Big for Lisa. We should try and get him back in. Yeah. Yeah. Why the heck not? They, oh, oh. You know how you talked about like their episodes that 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 lean too heavy into the sci-fi. Yeah. Big for Lisa is going to be. That's gonna be. This is gonna be interesting to talk about because, like, I loved this episode when I was a kid. Me too. And yeah, it's gonna be interesting to. It's going to be very interesting because there are a lot of things that we can talk about. I think on the outside Mm -hmm. um, of this episode from a twenty twenty. It's the first time I think I've said that. Yeah. A twenty twenty vantage point. Yeah. Um, Especially. I, I mean, it, with the military and, you know, sexual assault and, and, and uh, there's so much to, sure. to bring in. Mm-hmm. However, I certainly we don't want to let that get in the way of what's going on at the core because it ends up being a very different kind of episode for Quantum Leap. Oh, yeah. Um, and in it, 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 a wonderful way is a great bookend, I think, with the Leap Back. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking forward. I haven't watched this episode in a very long time. Mm -hmm. I think the last time I watched this episode was probably over 20 years ago. All right. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So jumping back, we said this off mic, and I thought we were going to address it right off the bat. Oh, shoot. Uh, About stand-up, about uh, our core episode this week. There's a lot of confusion among fans sometimes that this is, speaking of the leaping back, this is what you may think of. At the end of Leap Back... Al tells Donna that Sam is a stand-up comic playing the Catskills in 1956, and a lot of times people think that this is right. the leap that they're talking about. Uh, but it's not, because it's a different situation. Sam's 
a comic in the Catskills and what Al is referencing. They start off in the Poconos, they're going whatever. Sam is there to put uh, 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 the, the comic together with a woman so they can raise a little girl together because the, there was a divorce thing going on. Right. This is a this is not the same episode. No. Yeah. No, I, I definitely not. I, it would have been nice. I understand why they didn't do it because it would have been confusing. It would have been nice if they somehow referenced that leap. Sure. In this episode, but that would have just been confusing. To your average the viewer. other interesting thing that that line in Leap Back, and I don't know if we talked about this in that episode or not, but one other thing that that line does that's very interesting and I think helps to pave the way for the novels and the comic books is it introduces the possibility that there are leaps happening in between the leaps that we see on television. Yeah. Um, which I think as a television viewer, when I was young and first got picked up the novels, was very disorienting to me because I always was of the mind that it was very literal. Sam leapt out of this and into this. Yeah. However, now at the you know vantage point that we're at today, it's very easy, especially with other lines throughout the series, and knowing that sometimes those leaps take longer. Mm-hmm. That there's no reason why there can't be leaps in between the televised leaps. Oh sure. I remember uh, speaking of leap for Lisa. There, uh, the second novel that came out, too close to comfort. Yep. I. I can't remember what the circumstances of the plot were, but I, I remember very specifically the start of that novel makes the note, this story takes place before Leap for Lisa. Yeah. Yep. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's also interesting because there's a character that uh, we are introduced to in a Leap for Lisa that makes a couple of appearances in the novels. Yeah. Which right. will be really interesting once we talk a little bit more about him. And the actor who plays him, because there are some interesting connections... And the actor that plays the role, we've already talked about a couple of times on the podcast. We're talking about Charles Rocket? Or, or... No, we're talking about Roddy McDowell. Oh, yeah. 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 Because that's where they got the photograph for MIA. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought between that and uh, Chip... Oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. yeah. Roddy McDowell's character, he does pop up a couple times. In yeah, the, yeah. In the... So anyway, yeah, uh, stand yeah, up. We'll talk about next week. Yeah, stand, stand up, up. I think is a really good episode. I, I, I gushed. I think at times over this episode, over the course of this podcast, I don't take any of it back. I wouldn't restrain it or change it at all. However, I would say that maybe that gushing was more of a result of the fact that this episode, to me personally, felt more like a return to form for what I love about Quantum Leap. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it's not making my top ten list. Yeah. But uh, but I think it's it's just it's a really good episode, and it's probably one of the better episodes of the fourth season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna leave you this week. I don't know. It all depends on how much effort Sam wants to do in putting the editing. You're either gonna get <laughs> Fate's Wide Wheel at this point, or you're gonna get a very funny song about Bob Saget. Yeah, Bob or Saget. Or I don't know. Or we can just edit this whole segment out, and we'll just yeah. Oh no, I'll do yeah. some work. Okay, I'll awesome do some work. Well, that's our episode for this week. We'll see you next week for Leap for Lisa. Absolutely. Thank you all so much. Take care in the meantime, and uh, we're going to leap out of here. Bye-bye. Have you ever had one of those nights that started off so damn good? No fights, no fuss. It's understood that when you go to the bar, man, we ain't leaving to those girls in the car. Well, this night started off just like that, except Jamie's what? in the driver's seat, Saggy's in the back. We rolling on 20s to the club, pull up front, Saggy's in the back seat, rolling a blunt. Valley <laughs> opens up the door to
to park the car. The bouncer at the front don't want to let us in the bar. Bob says, here, let me show him some affection. Then he walked up, wound up, cold clock, decked him. Started screaming for the bitch to respect him. Next thing you know, we're in the VIP section. When crew runs deep like this, you want to brag it. rolling with? Man. I'm rolling with Saggy. Now the night's young, but everybody's getting tipsy. Bob's in the booth with a chick from Poughkeepsie. Daughter in the Dom Perry arm, just drinking from the bottle. Making plans to leave the club at three miles. That's when DMX and 50 Cent walked in. Nah. Bob stood up and said, Who are you again? At first, all they did was stand around and stare. Till X pushed Ow. Bob and 50 hit him with a chair. He's in the car, getting khaki shoes and no socks. You want a hardcore motherfuckers? Pull out a Glock. I got a cock like a donkey, hard as a rock. And a trigger finger itchier than chicken pox. Everybody do their hands in the air. Bob's drunk with a gun and he just don't care. We on the floor, he's on the table now, firing shots. Paris Hilton's on the cell phone, calling the cops. He blew the smoke off the tip of his gun. Bob Saget, bitch, you better act someone. You rolling with Bob? Michelle. 